Welcome to the Dr. Bubbs Performance Podcast, giving you the latest evidence-based research and cutting-edge insights for elite mental and physical performance. He's connecting you directly with the world's leading experts and coaches. Here's your host, Dr. Bubbs. Hey, everyone. This is Season 4 of the Performance Nutrition Podcast, connecting you with world-leading experts in performance nutrition to take your nutrition game to the next level. Folks, you're in for a real treat today. My guest is Marie Spano, one of the USA's leading sport nutritionists for the Atlanta Hawks, Atlanta Falcons, and Atlanta Braves. Marie combines science with practical experience to help her athletes, Olympic, professional, and recreational, implement the customized nutrition plans they need to maximize their performance. Marie was a three-sport collegiate athlete and earned her master's degree in nutrition from the University of Georgia and her bachelor's degree in exercise and sports science from the University of North Carolina, Greensboro. I am absolutely sure you're going to find this conversation today with Marie really, really insightful. She's obviously got a wealth of applied knowledge, so definitely listen closely as she gives some of her favorite tips and clinical pearls for practitioners and athletes as well. You can find the links and the podcast summary in the show notes at performancenutritionpodcast.com. That's performancenutritionpodcast.com. If you want to look for more content on nutrition in professional basketball, or elite basketball rather, then definitely check out my earlier conversation with former LA Lakers head of strength and conditioning, Tim DeFrancesco. That's season one, episode 28, Pro Athlete Training, Nutrition and Sleep. On the college basketball side of things, you can listen to former Purdue Boilermakers head of strength and conditioning, Josh Bonatal, talking physical development, managing athlete recovery, and building buy-in. And of course, we're in February. It's still cold and flu season, so if you want to circle back to season two, episode three, with performance nutrition director Brian St. Pierre at Precision Nutrition, he is talking on vitamin D, immunity, and supplementation. Terrific. This episode is sponsored by my new book, Peak, number one bestseller on Audible in the USA, as well as Amazon in the USA, Canada, and UK. World-class strength coach George Carvajal says, Peak is a highly informative, useful, all-encompassing performance enhancements book I wish I had when I started coaching. If you have any Peak success stories or some feedback, then definitely please reach out on social media at Dr. Bubbs. Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, at Dr. Bubbs, D-R-B-U-B-B-S. Awesome, let's do this. Season 4, Episode 3 with Marie Spano. Enjoy. Mary, I appreciate you carving out some time today. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to, to speak on your podcast. Well, listen, I think... Uh, you know, a great place to jump off here today would be to give listeners a little whirlwind tour of your journey and your career and, and into your current roles with the, you know, Falcons, Hawks, and the Braves. So um, a little bit of my ba- about my background. I have an exercise science degree from UNC Greensboro, and then a master's degree in foods and nutrition, specialization in sports nutrition and bone health from U, um, University of Georgia, where I worked with the student athletes. Phenomenal experience there. Um, and it's funny, I always tell people, I was an endurance athlete my last three years of college. My first year, I actually played softball and soccer. 
and I came in thinking, oh, okay, I only want to work with endurance sports. And then I worked with the football team and loved it because it's a high need sport, right? Um, there's always something to do with nutrition, with you know hydration. We were just talking about how it's like you know a car crash every Sunday due to the collisions on the field. So high need, they were very interested. Um, just fell in love with the sport, working with the athletes, and then I um, you know started working at like training facilities in Atlanta doing quite a bit of writing online, so writing for Men's Health and other magazines. I think my voice, the way I talk, like the communication style is more geared toward men. It's a little bit more direct. And um, then, you know, at some point someone introduced me to um, the Thrashers, our hockey team, which Canada stole from us. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry about that. Winnipeg welcomed them with open arms, right? So that was good to see um, them get the fan base. And so I worked with them for a couple years before they left, and then I ended up at the Hawks, and then the which I've been there over ten years. The Braves, I um, started there seven years ago. I was there a couple years, and then off a couple, and then I'm back. And then the Falcons, I've been with three years. Amazing! So much uh, knowledge and wisdom and insights from all those years working in you know elite sport, and of course with your background. You know, so maybe a good place to even start here is to just talk about nutrition philosophy. You know, in working with athletes, is there a certain philosophy that you bring to how you like to apply um, performance nutrition? Yeah, I always say I like to use science and experience to optimize every aspect of performance, recovery, and health through better nutrition, hydration, and sleep. And I throw the word experience in there because, you know, what I always say, you can't do everything in a lab or on the field that you do in a lab. It's just not practical and it just doesn't work, whether it's schedule, whether it's you know, field conditions. Um, So I combine both to give that optimal mix of, okay, here's what I think is going to work with this athlete right now. Yeah, it's always fascinating how whether we're talking nutrition, training, you know, medicine, obviously even, you know, what we learn in in studies and even reading literature when it comes time to putting these things in practice, there's always many, many nuances that come up and it's not exactly how it was in the study or in the, in the textbook. And so it's, you know, being able to implement those things with, with athletes. And of course with elite athletes, there's, you know, we get a, we run the gamut in terms of compliance of different athletes. And that's a good segue to talk about, again, I'm sure whether it's a strength coach, nutritionist listening in, you know, not all elite athletes have high compliance, you know, sometimes the ones with, Oftentimes, obviously, the ones with lower compliance are the ones that we we think could make the you know the bigger gains and, and and impact their performance the most. So, you know, what are some strategies that you might have, or, or how do you approach those maybe conversations when you're dealing with an athlete who has low compliance and you need to get some um, some strategies in place? Yeah, and like you said, that's always a tough one. I know you've seen it a lot as well. Um, and sometimes I've found that it's because they don't they may not understand how you can help them. So they may have been in a situation before where they never had a nutrition expert, they didn't have someone guiding them. So they think, oh, this is only about weight loss or weight gain. They don't realize all of these different ways that nutrition or hydration can impact their performance on the field and their recovery and how they feel off the field. So sometimes I, you know, I try to start with those conversations and then try to get them to make one change that is not that painful. Um, meaning, you know, they might love you know, the sugary desserts every single day I might not touch that initially I might touch because even touching that might not make a difference right it might take a couple weeks before they go oh I have more energy I'm not eating you know for sure so much less healthy food in my diet 
So I try to um, do that and then also pull their pain points. So whatever they can improve on the field, on the court, um, you know, whether it's, let's say, field goal percentage, whether it's, hey, they're not reading the defense well enough, maybe it's reaction time. And then, you know, oftentimes I'll ask them, give me a week or two and I want you to do one thing. And sometimes it might be sleep. It might be, hey, let's go to bed at 11 o'clock every night, turn your phone on silent, tell me how you feel. And if that works, then we'll, we'll go to step two. But here's what I think is going to happen, you know, on the field, on the court, et cetera. So I always try to talk in, ter- in their language, not, you know, these abstract terms like, oh, energy, et cetera. Well, how's that going to help me when I play? Well, here's what's going to happen, you know, when you're playing. Yeah. And then another thing I do is uh, I try to, I say I, I'm their shadow. That's kind of a joke. But if they're not compliant, let's say, like, I've got some football players that their weight is a little bit low consistently, and I sit with them for breakfast, for lunch. Like, I'm with them on the field, and I'm like, oh, I'm <laughs> shadow. Awesome. And eventually, it's funny, but eventually they start going, oh, you know, it's like, oh, this person cares a lot about me. And they start to listen a little bit more, and they'll start to do minor things. Their weight not might not change, you know, a lot initially, but they start to buy in because they're like, this person's spending a lot of time and effort with me. Yeah, it is amazing how that um, that presence, you know, that plays such Huge. a big role. And as you mentioned, the person realizes you're invested in their outcome, and all of a sudden, oh yeah, those little things you've been saying that you haven't seen much movement on now, all of a sudden, you're you're getting some momentum. And I love the idea, you know, your strategy of obviously really tying it to some outcome that they can, some tangible outcome. Because, mm-hmm. you know, I think sometimes even in clinical practice, we talk to clients about health and it's such a nebulous sort of term where it's like, well, what, you know, how can you improve, how can you affect this, the one thing in the next seven days or 14 days, you know, yeah. something concrete that they can really work around. And so uh, those are terrific, terrific tips. And if we, obviously pro football, I mean, contact sport, we were talking beforehand, I mean, like a car crash every week, it's, and it's incredible. And you know, oh, yeah. This time of year, recovery is obviously massive. Uh, heading into the end of the year, when players are tired and run down, heading into the playoffs, you know, when we think about recovery, nutrition, are there certain areas for you that you would, you know, focus on or prioritize with players when we get into the end of a long, grueling season? Yeah, and you know, it depends here again on the player. Um, and it's funny, like I'll, I always joke the offensive line, like I'm like, I don't worry about you guys. You guys eat, you eat regular meals. And one of them, <laughs> yeah, sure. last week he was. Marie, some people skip meals. I said, uh, yeah, they skip meals. So, you know, I'll start with the big three. Hey, I want you to consume regular meals, whether that's three or whether it's five, just to get your calorie needs in, four or five. Um, consuming something right away after practice, it could be a drink, as long as they have at least carbohydrate right away. Mm-hmm. Um, because I find, and you know, I've not seen research on this, but I find when they consume something, immediately, whether it's after a game or after practice, they generally feel better the next day. It's not, hey, I know they can restore their glycogen, right? Mm-hmm. You know, after a four o'clock practice, by the time they get on the field the next day, they've got all night, right? Yeah. But that's sure. not the thing. They tend to feel a lot better and they have more energy in meetings at night. They, they stay awake. And then, so it's those three things, regular meals, consuming food right away and staying hydrated every single day, not just on the field, but every day. Those are the three big recovery nutrition things. And then after that, if they've mastered that, I'll layer things on like, Hey, you have to have color at every single meal. And one thing I found is that when people add, you know, the fruits and vegetables and they eat a lot more of them, they feel better. You know, they're getting those plant compounds that um, help with recovery. They help keep your tissues healthy, et cetera. 
and they feel better. So I'll layer those things on. Yeah, it's terrific when you think about um, obviously two birds with one stone there when you get the carbohydrates and the hydration after practice with some kind of drink is a, is a terrific strategy. And it is amazing when we look at even, you know, polyphenol intake across the board that, you know, in the general population, about 50% of polyphenols is from coffee and tea. And so if we get wow. athletes that aren't consuming those, just as you mentioned, I mean, getting that plate to look a pretty darn colorful is important, isn't mm-hmm. it? To be able to get all those polyphenols in and, and yeah, they just tend to feel better and, and, and it's amazing, and, isn't it? The mindset piece of once somebody feels better, you know, whether it's placebo or not, then then other things tend to to improve as well. Whether it's performance yeah. in the field, recovery, even just mindset of, of facing challenges. The other thing sometimes I'll do, and it works well in basketball especially, is I'll find a vet and and have them kind of you know help a younger guy because I'm not with them all the time. So I'll pull aside a vet and say, "Hey, can you take him out to dinner?" Or can you, can you eat with him a few times and talk to him about this? Because um, they're very willing to help their teammates. And, you know, sometimes they can get them to try new foods. Like last year, I pulled aside Jeremy Lin, and he could get some of the younger players to try new foods. And he has a, he has a great knowledge of food and nutrition and stuff. Um, and then the, the players will do it, and they're like, oh, yeah, that actually was pretty good. I don't mind fish, or I don't mind, you know, whatever vegetables there. So it's a, you know, train the trainer approach. I love that. It's such a human thing, isn't it? To have, you know, a peer or somebody that a young player holds in high regard and they just see them eating something. And no matter how many times you may be able to tell them to eat that thing, just one experience of of sitting down with a player or maybe, maybe it's a coach for another person, you know, and all of a sudden the habit changes or the mindset of, of that food and the whole experience changes. And so that's such a great, um, great way to kind of nudge athletes towards the outcomes that we want without always having to tell them you know there's obviously a place for education but i think sometimes we try to beat them over the head with education all the time and some of those softer strategies as you mentioned at the end of the day get the job done and sometimes you know perhaps even better really don't they oh for sure and you know another one on our team this year vince carter you know so i'll use them as examples hey how do you think he's played 22 years and even if you don't want to play 22 let's say your goal is 10 you got to be able to, you know, last 10 years and you're not going to last on the diet, you know, that, that fast food or college diet. Um, and I'll give multiple examples of, you know, athletes that they look up to and they know. Yeah. That college diet definitely catches up with you by the time you hit late twenties, thirties and hundred percent. You know, yeah. we, had, we had a similar experience when Steve Nash came on board as the GM for Canada basketball. Cause yeah, all of a sudden these players can see a guy who played until he was 40 you know, and how can you keep going in your 30s when you're, you know, when it, that much, you know, the, all the back-to-backs and, you know, all the load, basketball, obviously a lot of, you know, intensity and, and you know, the amount of movement and, and kilometers covered. So it's, uh, yeah, it's, it's huge. And um, obviously now we're gearing up in the NBA season, you know, January is when things really start to kick into gear even a little bit more. And of course, that's cold and flu month, right? That's the highest incidence of cold and flus. And so when we talk immunonutrition, you know, strategies to keep athletes healthy, you know, how can we do this? Or do you have uh, some recommendations on some of the things that you might uh, be telling your players? Yeah, I mean, aside from number one, washing your hands. Um, I love that. It's, it's, <laughs> it's, such, a, it's such a number one. It's, it's yeah. And staying away from people who are sick. I always say what, you know, feeds the gut, feeds the immune system, since about two-thirds of the immune system is in the gut. Mm-hmm. And um, so that's, again, where I'll go back to, you know, fibrous plants, fruits, vegetables, 
and also some of the compounds in fruits and vegetables, um, like the carotenoids, which convert to vitamin A. We need that for immune system functioning. Um, you know, so look for foods high in you know vitamin A, vitamin C, vitamin D, vitamin E, etc. All those nutrients that are important for immune system functioning. Um, oftentimes, I do give athletes or suggest a multivitamin just so they can cover their micronutrient needs. For sure. And then um, I also like probiotic-rich foods, not necessarily a supplement, but just naturally getting, let's say, yogurt or kefir, those foods in in them to ensure that you know they're you know putting good bacteria in their body, and then again feeding those bacteria with those high-fiber foods. Those that's really the starting place for immune nutrition. Yeah, definitely after that uh, post-holiday uh, refeed and then sugar rush and everything else, the gut biome mm-hmm. sort of taking a bit of a shift. So, a really good idea to be able to get those foods in. And of course, you mentioned the carotenoids and all the, you know, those all those orange-colored vegetables, precursors to vitamin A. I mean, all the different soups and things that you can try to get in to help players out is. Uh, Soup, another great one. I, yeah, I'm glad you brought that up. Is that something that you incorporate a lot in your athletes' diets? We, the ones that I support through the through year round, yeah, we definitely try to get a lot of soups in. I mean, with Canada basketball, we're oftentimes in the summertime, so not mm-hmm. not as much there, but definitely, you know, winter time. It's uh, as you mentioned between the hydration piece and the, all the polyphenols and, and and the nutrients. It's it's a pretty nice way to be able to get more calories in in a pretty easy, uh, you know, pretty easy way to, to to take down. And you know, the other thing that happens obviously in, in pro sports is all the plane travel, right? Oh. So on planes, Tough. off of planes. I mean, you just mentioned obviously hand washing is huge. You know, I've Very seen big. studies upwards of forty percent reductions in cold and flu just from frequent hand washing. You know, yep. apart from that, what are some of you, what are some things that you know you try to emphasize with players? I know it's always difficult, but when they're getting on planes and having to travel a lot, how do we reduce uh, the infection rates? Yeah, uh, hydration number one because they tend to get dehydrated on planes, mm-hmm. and then. I like to add some of those, you know, and again, I've got a lot of guys that have a tough time, whether it's basketball or um, football, they have a tough time maintaining their weight. So that's when I don't turn to just water, but hey, let's add 100% orange juice or some of these dark berry juices because I'll kill a few birds with one stone, right? I'll get those plant-based polyphenols, which you mentioned. Um, I'll get vitamin C to, you know, for immune system functioning, which some of them don't get a lot of vitamin C because they might not eat a lot of fruits and vegetables. Mm-hmm. Um and then I'll get hydration as well. And then also imperative, which is tough when you're crossing time zones, is sleep, right? We know that if they don't get enough sleep, their immune system is not going to be functioning on full steam. Yeah, it's a, it's incredible how that lack of sleep. You know, Sheldon Cohen's a classic study there in the 90s where you know, less than seven hours and you're about three-fold increased risk. And as you got less than six, I think it was about a four-and-a-half-fold increased risk. So it's definitely one that athletes, and I'm sure, you know, parents with young children can also attest to it's like I'm sure, exposure yeah. rates go up and sleep goes down it's the perfect recipe for for catching more colds and flus and yeah you know it's definitely works its way around locker rooms you know i think already you know this year we've seen some teams in football and basketball um you know experience that and you know is that something where then the medical staff will get involved for you guys in terms of ivs and things like that yeah, they will. And then, you know, the other thing I see a lot, and, uh, you know, I'd rather people wash their hands, but hand sanitizer everywhere, that is helpful. Mm-hmm. Because I think oftentimes, and especially, let's say, on a plane, people get on a plane, they're, you know, put their luggage places, they're touching all these surfaces, and then they sit down and they might be served food, and they don't think, hey, I should wash my hands before I touch that sandwich. Um, 
So that's a huge, like you mentioned, that's a huge environment, but I see hand sanitizers a lot. That can be very helpful. And then another thing is ensuring that you get enough calories. I'm big on that because as I always say, you know, if you don't have enough total calories, something's got to give. And it could be healing, you know, if, if you are recovering from an injury, it could be an immune system suppression. So it's important to get enough total calories in every day. And, um, you know, as the season wears on, some, some athletes, you know, it's, it's work. It's work to get that many meals and it's work to consistently have a shake every day. And um, I, I understand that. You know, I had, to, I had to take, you know, weight maintenance or gain shapes in college for a period of time. Um, so it's constant reminders and trying to come up with new ways to ensure that they get everything they need and they consume enough calories for immune system functioning. So important, isn't it, that idea, you know, total energy, you mentioned carbohydrate and protein, these big rocks for, for maintaining mm-hmm. immunity. And sometimes we tend to, uh, or athletes and clients will tend to just focus on those micronutrients, the smaller buckets, the vitamin yes. C, the vitamin Ds. And whilst they have importance, you know, if we're missing those big rocks, as you mentioned, like the energy intake and carbohydrate intake, we're going to be fighting an uphill battle. So that's... Uh, oh, yeah. And then they're just tired all the time. And when you're tired, you don't, you don't even feel like getting up to go get food or, you know... Um, taking the effort. I had one athlete who said, I said, well, you usually Uber eats. That's not that much effort. Why did you eat two meals, not three meals? You know, yesterday, this was a while ago and, um, you know, it just happened to be a day off. He just goes, I, I don't, he goes, even if my stomach's growling, I don't feel like getting up to get food. And I thought, wow. Okay. Yeah. It's a, it's a great uh, little red flag, isn't it? Cause oftentimes athletes will, you just don't realize that the meal frequency goes down when they're just a bit tired or run down. Mm-hmm. And you know, that, just as you mentioned, yeah. you don't you want to make make yourself a meal? And once you don't want to order Uber Eats, I mean, that's probably another level up, isn't it? I mean, that's like, <laughs> like you that's, and I are in this field, so we can't imagine it, right? Yeah. Um, but you know, yeah, there are people that will just sit there and let their stomach growl, and, you know, go about their day. It's crazy to me. Yeah, and I suppose on that note, I mean, you know, you've obviously with all the experience you've had working across all the major four sports, you know, if if you look back over your career, you know what were some of the biggest realizations or, or potentially challenges that you encountered, you know, over the course of, of those years working in pro sports and up until today? I think, um, you know, there's so many challenges. That's, that's the big thing. And you brought up some of them. Travel is huge. Baseball travel is absolutely astronomical, right? 162 games a year scheduling. And sometimes it comes down to, Hey, they want a life. They want to, they want to go out and hang out with their friends late and, then they don't wake up in time to get breakfast. And hey, I, I myself would prioritize sleep over breakfast. I get that. Um, so I have to figure out a way for them to literally grab something out of the fridge and just go. Um, food, and this is this is big, uh, especially in like minor league baseball. You know, there are cities where your food options are pretty much like Walmart. Mm-hmm. So food options can be a big uh, challenge and a last one I can really think of, and I'm sure you run into this all the time, is, you know, that inaccurate information. So we're always against up against, you know, what they hear in the media, what big documentary is out there, sure. um, what fad is out there. And some of these aren't necessarily fads. I'm not against the ketogenic diet, obviously. It's got, you know, it's amazing for those with, uh, you know, medication resistance of um, epilepsy. And then, you know, there are other scenarios where it can be beneficial but when you have a high intensity athlete that tries it you're like okay here's why you know your neighbor lost a lot of weight you don't need to lose weight you got to go run on a field so it's all of those things and trying to 
you know, break down the nuances of a very complex science. Nutrition is complex at times. Yeah, it's definitely complex, and it's bathed in in the human emotions, isn't it? I mean, yes, I'm always amazed that our sports like uh, Peter Jensen, oh you know, 90% of every, every decision we make is based on emotion, right? And you just touched on the, the documentaries, yeah. and of course, Game Changers has been making the rounds, and again, a lot yeah. of great benefits from potentially from vegetarian vegan diets, but definitely something where all of a sudden, you know, just as you mentioned, your neighbors tried something, or now you've seen a documentary, and you know, the, the amount of athletes I've had in the last few months reaching out you know, thinking, hey, I can kickstart, you know, this recovery or performance, mm -hmm. you know. So before, before I give my side here, I would just like to, before I skew your, your opinion here, you know, when you watch the film, you know, what are some of the biggest misconceptions maybe that are relayed to athletes that could potentially be problematic or need to be, you know, talked through with a, with a nutritionist uh, or dietitian? I think you hinted to the first one, and that's that, hey, I can easily make this switch. And it's funny in that film because... It's almost like they went back and forth between plant-based and vegan, which are, you know, obviously two separate things. Um, so I'm constantly explaining the difference between the two with vegan being, hey, no animal foods at all, and plant-based, hey, you can have, you know, eggs, you can have some dairy, you can have some chicken, et cetera. Um, but I think what you touched upon that they think I could just switch, I could eat this without any planning and without any major knowledge. And obviously that's not the case. And I've had a lot of athletes, and I, I can't wait to hear your opinion on this too and your, your experience, but I've had a lot of athletes come to me and I'll kind of talk them through it and go, hey, you know, you weigh 240 pounds, here's what it's going to take. Here's how much food you're going to have to eat to get enough total protein and get those building blocks, those amino acids to maintain your muscle and repair your muscle. Um, here's a way that you can do it though. You can still be plant-based, but you can still have some of these other foods. So that's one thing, um, you know, they think it's really easy. Second, and they went into, and I've got a couple Instagram posts about this, I've got a couple more coming, but they went into how animal proteins produce all these compounds. Um, mm -hmm. They mentioned advanced glycation end products, TMAO, heterocyclic amines. Those are very complex topics, and they're not very cut and dry. Um, and not all, we don't have research on every animal food and the production of these compounds. So that's that's another one. Um, yeah, there's no consensus and, at the moment in it. No. And watching the film, it seemed like there was a consensus to the viewer if they weren't up to speed, right? Oh, very much so. And then the other huge one that I find in a lot of documentaries is that they say, hey, just make this switch and you know, you'll know you feel better and all these miraculous things will happen. And, and as I always say, is it really the fact that you went vegan or is it the fact that you stopped eating Fritos, drinking beer and drinking soda and now you're actually eating something that has color in it? You know, which is it? Because it's not necessarily that you made this drastic change and went vegan. You probably could have achieved that by having those animal-based foods, right? By having, whether it's salmon, whether it's, you know, turkey, etc. But, um, you know, you also took out a lot of foods in your diet and a lot of drinks that are not healthy, you know, that are going to run you down, basically. Yeah, it's amazing how removing that processed food is just becomes part and parcel with most changes to a different diet and particularly you know, vegan, vegetarian, or plant-based diet. And the term plant-based is also, you know, incredibly confusing because, I mean, any Very athlete much. who's eating 15% of their calorie, you know, 15% of their diet is protein, even if they're, let's say, 1.6 grams per kilo of protein take. I mean, they're still effectively plant-based if they're eating a lot of vegetables. And so I think it's 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 very, uh, they're, you know, almost trying to straddle that line because it's um, it almost seems like they're, you know, as someone who was 20 years ago, I was a vegan, and I understand the, the arguments well, and it's, 
you know, obviously tremendously helpful to eat a lot of vegetables. And it's, it's funny how it's always presented as a bit of a false dichotomy between you either eat only animal products or you eat only vegetables. Yeah, it's crazy. And I agree with you on plant-based. It's, there's no, as I always say, there's no uniform definition for plant-based. So mm-hmm. what I consider plant-based, someone else might not consider plant-based, but, um, yeah, it's, it's that, I do like that film for highlighting the beneficial aspects of fruits and vegetables. Of course, they could have done a better job in highlighting why they're important for athletes, but because um, they were so focused on like, hey, eat this, not that approach. Don't eat meat, eat this. But I do like the fact that that conversation has started about, you know, here's why you need some color in your diet. I mean, I have seen athletes over the past two years, especially after they get injured. Um, you know, after that What the Health movie, that was another one, but mm-hmm. where they've started to actually, you see them at the salad bar now, or you'll see them asking for spinach in their omelet, and I'm like, oh, okay, wow, you've made some major strides. Absolutely. I think that's such a great, uh, you know, eating more vegetables is phenomenal for most people um, most yes. of the time, and so I think that was one of the great messages of the film. Um, I think debunking a lot of the you know misnomers around soy protein intake as well, I think that's definitely oh. one that comes up yes. often. And so I think it's always that line of, I think, for most of the film, it seemed that they were going to say, if you're an athlete, you can do just as well on this diet. And at some point, it seemed like they switched the mantra to, this is an even better way of eating, and you can even be in better health. And I think that's where, mm-hmm. you know, get a lot of um, different debunkings going on around the uh, the interwebs these days. But uh, Yeah. And, you know, the other thing you just brought up is that all, kind of all-or-nothing approach. And I would hate for an athlete to go, gosh, I couldn't be a vegan, so what's the point? Let me go back to my regular diet. No, no, there's that middle ground, right? We want to, we want you to make progress. We don't want you to necessarily aim for what you consider perfection, but just make some progress. There's middle ground in there where you can make major gains. For sure, and as you mentioned there as well, just that period of even experimentation, if someone wants to jump on for a little period and all of a sudden they're eating more lentils or they're eating more salad or they're eating more broccoli, and, and now we've... we've you know, we've, we scored a win there from this, this period, win. so that's a you know, big, big potential win there. Yeah, a huge win. Lentils, one of my favorite foods. <laughs> Amazing. Mm-hmm. Well, listen, performance nutrition, obviously, in the last, you know, 20 years has really exploded. In the last 10 years, even more so. You know, where do you see the evolution of, of performance nutrition, sport dietetics going in the next five or 10 years? You know, I see it becoming more individualized. I have more and more athletes asking for these specialized blood tests, or they want to know about their microbiome, which I don't think we're there yet with, you know, the microbiome, and and because um, everybody's is, you know, different. It's not like yours is the exact same as mine. Um, that's kind of a misnomer that's, that's floating out there. But I do think we're looking at more individualized approach, getting into some of those nuances, even though, uh, you know, for some athletes, they've got to start with, you know, the things that are giving them the biggest bang for the buck. It's like, we don't need to look at, you know, in-depth blood work when you're not even doing X, Y, and Z, right? You know, um, when you can't even, like, let's say, maintain a healthy weight or get up and eat, you know, breakfast and eat at least three meals a day. But um, I do see that individualized approach down the pipeline. What do you what do you think in this regard? Yeah, I think it's, it's very true in the sense of we're always going to have those pillars that we need to fundamentals big mm-hmm. rocks, if you will, that we need to get into all the athletes, but there's definitely, once those are sound and solidified, that, that personalization part is, is huge, and, you know, 
like you mentioned before, I mean, in terms of doing research studies, it's incredibly difficult to be able to tease a lot of these things out. And I think with uh, you know, so the use involved. of continuous glucose monitors and things like that, we can start to get a little bit of a glimpse of how, you know, one individual might react a certain way to a food, whereas another might not. And some of the genetic tests as well, you know, obviously yes. there's a lot of uh, associations with a lot of the genes, but some of the ones that are coding for, uh, for things like caffeine metabolism and things like that that are more actionable. You know, I think that's pretty interesting as well. And listen, Marie, I think a lot of people listening in who are trying to continue their skills and continue their journey um, in nutrition, dietetics, as a strength coach who utilizes nutrition, etc. You know, you know, what's one tip that you would give someone who's trying to continue to to add tools to their toolbox and, and expand their their knowledge in nutrition? Ooh, that's a that's a good one. Um, you know, I would say use social media to find some of those experts, follow them, engage in discussions. I think actually that's a great way to learn now. I get this question a lot, and I'm like, there is no one single For resource sure, no. on the web or one single credential. Or, I hate to say it because I'm a lead author on a textbook, but I don't think there's one single textbook out there that um, you know will, will do do you justice but if you follow people like you if you follow all these people who you know experts in the field and some of these you know PhD scientists um, they're very engaging with you know their discussion their information they put out there and I think that's a great way to continue to learn yeah great piece of advice I mean there's obviously a lot of noise out there in the in the Twitter first but there's yeah. as you mentioned there's, there's a gold mine as well and all these experts who mm -hmm. now you can talk to directly and you know with technology get yeah. people like yourself on the podcast to share your insights is uh, is phenomenal and so yeah definitely, and that's definitely another one listen to, listen to podcasts like yours i mean you got great guests i think podcasts you know it's funny i'm i tend to read but i've uh, gotten into podcasts because i can listen to them on my you know well today hour and a half commute home um <laughs> so it's a great way to download them and can wherever you are you have that information you can rewind it um, you know, podcasts are incredibly helpful as well. Awesome, Marie. Well, listen, I appreciate you carving out some time. We'll, we'll maybe have to get you on back on in the summertime to talk a little bit more baseball because we didn't get a chance yeah. to, to dive in too much on that. But, uh, you know, where can people stay connected with you and keep up with all your fantastic work? Um, I'm on Instagram. I'm pretty active on Instagram, or at Marie Spano. Um, not many people have my name, as I always tell my parents, so it's pretty easy to find me. And then um, uh, my blog and then Twitter. Those are probably the easiest places to find me and again just most of them are just mariespano.com or you know at mariespano on twitter and instagram amazing well we'll definitely include those in the show notes and marie again thanks so much for taking the time today thank you for listening to the performance nutrition podcast once again you can find all the links and the expanded podcast summaries at performancenutritionpodcast.com and lastly, a big thank you to everyone who picked up a copy of my recently released book, Peak. I got so many fantastic messages from athletes, coaches, nutritionists, sports scientists. You know, really overwhelming to have played a small role in, in inspiring and connecting folks with experts to really help continue their journey. So massive, massive thank you to everyone. Thank you for the, the notes and the comments. Keep those coming in. Greatly appreciated. Uh, we did also crack the top 1% of all books sold on Audible. So if you picked up a copy, thank you again. 
Of course, if you didn't, well, maybe you can help jump on board and see if we can crack the top 100 books on Audible here in 2020. Awesome. To wrap up, if you have any questions or want to leave a comment on today's episode, I'd love to hear from you. You can reach out on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Dr. Bubs, or you can shout out to us on the new Instagram handle for the podcast, which is at PN underscore podcast on Instagram. That's PN underscore podcast. Thanks again and see everyone next week. The Dr. Bubbs Performance Podcast endeavors to provide accurate and helpful information to listeners. These podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Dr. Bubbs Performance Podcasts.